You're listening to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast, episode number 10. It's time to look at weight loss in a whole new way. Instead of focusing on calories in, calories out, you'll learn how to use your brain to transform your body and heal your relationship with food. If you're ready to lose your weight for the last time, you're in the right place. Because it's more than what you eat. It's who you are when you're eating. This is the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Here's your host, life and weight loss coach, Dr. Michelle Tupman. I'm a weight loss coach, but I want to come right out and say that I fully support any woman at any weight who doesn't want to lose weight. And in fact, when I do coach women through weight loss, we spend a lot of time up front exploring their reasons for wanting to lose weight. And this is actually crucial to their success. Because if you aren't super clear on why you want to lose weight, and if you don't feel a very profound sense of connection to that reason, then eating food when you aren't hungry is always going to feel more important. Now, the need for immediate gratification will always win over your long-term goals if you aren't deeply connected to your reasons for having those long-term weight goals in the first place. And another important reason to start with the why is that the motivation for weight loss needs to come from within. If you're trying to lose weight for someone else or because you think you need to fit into some ridiculous mold that society is trying to force on you, your weight loss is just not going to happen. And in fact, I won't coach women through weight loss if they have external motivation. What I will coach them through, though, is their need to define themselves by anyone else's standards but their own. And so it's definitely time to change the way we look at beauty and how we define women's value in the world. And although there's lots of great work happening out there to make this happen, we're still a long, long way from where we need to be, I think. Like, just listen to some of these crazy statistics. 50% of girls are worried about being too fat by the age of six. And by age 11, it's 66%. And in fact, I've been witnessing this in my nine-year-old niece. She refuses to wear snow pants in the winter because she thinks they make her look fat. And even by adolescence, nearly every girl will be exhibiting some sort of weight control behavior. And there's good reason to believe that this is our culture's doing. Now, you may have heard of the Fiji study that was done in the 1990s. So prior to about the mid-1990s, there was no TV in Fiji. There were also no eating disorders, no body image issues, and surprisingly low levels of depression. But after the introduction of British and American TV in 1995, I think it was, all of those things became prevalent rather quickly. Now, 13% of girls developed disordered eating habits within one month of the introduction of TV. I mean, wow, right? It gets worse though. Three years after the introduction of TV, listen to this, 69% of girls had been on a diet. 83% said that TV made them more self-conscious about their bodies. 40% thought they'd have to lose weight to get a better job. And 30% said that TV characters were their role models for career and work issues. I find those statistics crazy. Now, personally, I like to blame this all on the Industrial Revolution because prior to that point in time, clothes were largely homemade, right? They were tailored to the body intended to wear them. 
But after the introduction of looms and mills and such, clothes became more factory made and size became a thing. Fashion also became more of a thing. Women were able to buy clothes for style and not just for necessity. I often wonder if this is when women started feeling the need to fit a certain ideal, to be able to purchase and fit into a certain size and a certain style. Because ever since then, it seems like women have been striving to achieve some sort of culturally approved ideal. Now, of course, this ideal has changed over the generations. Like, think of the transition from Marilyn Monroe and her size 12 to Twiggy and her size zero. And whether it's been curvy or super thin, there's just always been some sort of ideal we as women have been expected to achieve. And our need to achieve these ideals has literally created a multi-billion dollar industry. This is the industry that tries to sell us crash diets and six-pack abs and all the scams, supplements, tricks, and hacks that are meant to get us there and, of course, usually never do. It's also the industry that produces clothing in only a narrow range of sizes and the industry that models those clothes on one specific body type and a body type that's still often airbrushed on top of it all. And it's the industry that only puts that cultural ideal body type on TV and in movies and in music videos. And when another type of body gets put on TV, it makes the news as if it's a big deal and then we get to celebrate diversity. And I find this ridiculous, given that it's these bodies that actually represent most of us normal people watching these shows. And even more ridiculous, in my mind anyway, it's the industry that says you have to lose weight to fit in an airplane seat, rather than putting the responsibility on airplane manufacturers to make seats the average person can sit in comfortably. I mean, it blows my mind. Anyway, The Nagoski sisters, Emily and Amelia, they actually describe this industry as the bikini industrial complex. And the insidious thing about the bikini industrial complex is that not only does it tell us how we should look, it also tells us that it's how we have to look to have any value and virtue in our society. And if that weren't enough, the bikini industrial complex is actually making us sick. And it's doing it in a few different ways. First, let's explore the issue of the body mass index or the BMI. Now, insurance companies and doctors use this to classify you as underweight, normal weight, overweight, or obese. And the only data it uses is your weight and your height. It doesn't take into consideration any details about your age, your bone structure, or your muscle, fat, and water distribution in your body. I actually read somewhere that the BMI actually classifies Tom Cruise as obese. And many professional athletes will classify as either overweight or obese as well, simply because of their muscle mass, which is, of course, completely insane. And another huge problem with the BMI is that it was developed in the 1800s by a mathematician in Belgium. It was actually designed to compare different populations. It was never even meant to be used at the individual level. And also his subjects were all white men. No women and no people of color were included in its derivation. So now we have this tool based on the bodies of white men from the 1800s, and we use it to create norms and expectations for women and people of color today. It is completely nonsensical to me. 
And I'm telling you as a medical professional that if someone tried to do a study on a single gender or a single ethnicity now, it would never pass an ethics review. And yet somehow we're still using this as a measure. But here's how the BMI really hurts us. Studies have shown that the BMI will misclassify half, yes, half of people as healthy when they're really at risk for all of the diseases that we traditionally associate with obesity, including heart disease and diabetes. The danger here is that if we are relying on the BMI to define risk, then we're missing out on the opportunity to improve the health of literally half the population. And of course, the reverse also happens. There are many people with higher BMIs who are healthy and never develop these chronic diseases. And yet, based on their BMI, they're told they're unhealthy and they're advised to lose weight when really they don't need to. And this is actually more dangerous to health. In fact, we know that it can be healthier to be even 70 pounds overweight than it is to be only five pounds underweight. And in fact, one study published in The Lancet a few years ago summarized the data from 189 different studies that included over 4 million healthy people. And they actually found that people who were categorized by the CDC as being obese actually had lower health risks than those the CDC categorized as underweight. And they even found that being overweight is lower risk than being even at the low end of the healthy range. And yet, despite all this, there is still this belief, both in the medical community and in society as a whole, that fat is bad and thin is good. But this is where the bikini industrial complex comes into play, right? Because insurance companies can charge you more if you have a higher BMI, and doctors can collect fees for treating you for your high BMI, even if you're completely healthy. Okay, so the BMI is one big part of the bikini industrial complex that harms us. Another aspect of this is the obvious discrimination against people in bigger bodies. Now, there are tons of studies out there showing us that people in larger bodies are actually paid less and often even have troubles finding jobs than people in what society considers a normal-sized body. And there is this misguided perception out there that fat people are lazy or they tire easily or they can't handle certain tasks. And this is all worse for women in bigger bodies, largely because society simply places more emphasis on women's appearance than they do men's. And so here's the question to ask. If employers are not allowed to hire or fire based on gender, sexual orientation, race, or disability, then why in hell is it still okay to discriminate based on body size? I tried to look this up, actually, and as far as I can see, only the state of Michigan in the U.S. has laws against discrimination based on body weight. Canada has no such laws. It's incredible. And if you live in a bigger body like I do, then I'm sure you've also experienced fat shaming or have been bullied even because of your weight. And this bullying isn't just at the hands of the so-called mean girls. There's actually studies out there showing that teachers fat shame their students. And there are literally volumes full of studies showing that fat people are more likely to have their symptoms minimized or ignored by their doctors. 
And in fact, here's a quote from one study of 620 primary care doctors. So of more than 50% of those doctors surveyed viewed obese people as, and I quote, awkward, unattractive, ugly, and non-compliant. And 30% of them described obese patients as, and I quote again, weak-willed, sloppy, and lazy. Now, that study was done in 2003, and I can only hope that this has improved since then. But I know that these attitudes are still fairly prevalent among my physician colleagues today. So weight stigma and discrimination is present literally everywhere you look in our society. Literally everywhere. Think of those airplane seats I mentioned earlier. Think of the medical equipment that have weight limits. Think of the limited range of clothing sizes. Think of all the opinions expressed about you and your body when you're out in the world living your life. The stigma is everywhere. And so now here we have women being stigmatized, bullied, and discriminated against based on body size, living under a constant pressure to strive for this impossible ideal that most of us will never achieve. Now, this leaves us feeling frustrated, unworthy, and undeserving of the things we want in life. Now, this obviously isn't a recipe for excellent mental and physical health. In fact, there's a fair amount of evidence out there showing that it is the stigma and discrimination itself that leads to many of the unhealthy eating patterns we see in women. And I mean women of all shapes and sizes. This in itself is a health risk. For example, eating disorders have a very high mortality, even more so than depression or other mental health issues. And in fact, one person dies from an eating disorder every 62 minutes. Striving for this impossible ideal is literally killing us. And so now the question is, how do we fight against the bikini industrial complex? Well, the Nagoski sisters suggest four strategies, and I'm all over all four of them. Here they are. The first is what they call mess acceptance. I love this term, mess acceptance. So when I first got into weight loss coaching, I preached body acceptance. I had a hard time talking about it, though, because I still hate my own body most days. I'm definitely a work in progress in this regard, for sure. And then someone told me, what if instead of trying to accept your body, you just tried accepting the fact that you're working on accepting it? and just being okay with where you are with it. I'm like, whoa, (laughs) that really hit home, and it made a lot of sense to me. And it's really what the Nagoski sisters are getting at when they talk about mess acceptance. Because it's no easy feat accepting your body when society is constantly making it clear that it doesn't accept your body as it is. And so instead, turn toward the mess of your thoughts and your feelings with kindness and self-compassion, and know that the bikini industrial complex is fueled by the patriarchy and by consumerism, and that it's totally normal to have a whole mess of thoughts about it all. Okay, the second strategy they, they describe is you are the new hotness. Now, I love this one too, and I totally use it in my life right now. So with this strategy, they're suggesting that you decide that you look absolutely fabulous as defined by your own terms. 
Like embracing mess acceptance, this is all about showing yourself kindness and self-compassion and simply deciding that you are beautiful each and every day. Now, here's how I've used the strategy today already. So I'm just getting used to having this new super short haircut. So after getting out of the shower today, I decided that my hair is the new hotness. And I got a kick-ass pair of new Fluvog shoes that arrived today. They're also the new hotness. And after I got dressed this morning, I noticed my arm flab in the mirror. And that's the new hotness. And I also noticed that I'm starting to get laugh lines around my eyes too. And, you know, you guessed it. (laughs) That's the new hotness. I love this strategy. It just feels so good. And then the third strategy actually takes this one step further to include everybody as the new hotness. Because here's the thing. We all have our internal biases. We all have thoughts and judgments about the people we see. Sometimes you'll see someone who's different from you and you'll feel afraid or maybe you'll even consciously or unconsciously criticize them for not conforming to societal norms. It's human. Or maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe they represent what you wish you looked like and you feel resentful for being reminded about all the ways you fall short. But remember that you always get to choose what you think about things. And so here's an experiment to try. Look at the great diversity out there in the world and decide that every woman you see is beautiful. So if you see a woman wearing a burqa, tell yourself she is so beautiful. And if you see a woman with a double mastectomy, tell yourself she is so beautiful. If you see a transgender woman or an androgynous woman or a woman of any size, shape, age, when you see them, tell yourself she is so beautiful. Everyone represents the new hotness. And if you notice that you have judgments or thoughts you don't like, remember that's all part of the mess. It's all part of the mess and allow yourself some self-compassion for being human. Okay. Now, the final thing the Nagoskis recommend is checking into your body. And of course, this is the very thing that I love to teach about because you need to be intentional about turning away from the cultural ideals and the societal pressure to conform and tune in to what's going on inside your own body and listen to what kind of messages it's trying to relay to you. But as the Nagoski sisters say, we tend to live from the neck up, only paying attention to all the noise in our heads and shutting out the noise coming from the other 95% of our internal experience. And so I recommend having a daily mindfulness practice or even just a few minutes where you sit down and check in and try to listen to what your body is telling you. And I'm quite certain that if you listen hard enough, it will tell you that you are enough just as you are. Okay, I want to finish up here by invoking the Hunger Games when Hamish says to Katniss, when you're in the arena, remember who the real enemy is. And so I want to say that to you as well. When you're out there in the world, remember that your body is not the enemy. The real enemy is the bikini industrial complex. All right. I'd love to hear your experiences with the bikini industrial complex because I know none of us are immune to it. 
I'd also really love to hear what strategies you've managed to implement to take care of yourself. So feel free to send me an email at michelle at wazahealth.com or reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook. You can find me on both platforms at Health. And coming up next week, I'll do my second book review of Jill Bolte-Taylor's new book, Whole Brain Living. If you've ever been in the situation where you want to eat the cookie and don't want to eat it all at the same time, this episode will show you why. And it'll also show you how you can merge those two thoughts and come to a decision. Until then, thank you for listening and have an excellent week. Bye. Bye.